I think I know the answer to this, but how many of you today believe that we serve a God who can perform miracles? I, I really never cease to be amazed <clears throat> at how, without discussing it, um, the Lord coordinates that which the worship team does and the songs selected and how that when I get into the worship service and I see the lyrics and hear how it coordinates with that which the Lord has given us for the word today. Well, in just a few minutes, <clears throat> I want to go to an Old Testament passage of Scripture that is actually full of miracles, though we will focus primarily on, on just one of them. And I want us to see what the Lord might be saying to us through His Word. You know, as, as many of you... And by the way, how many are not ashamed of His Word? Not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As many of you know, our family was recently in Asia for our daughter's wedding. And being in Asia reminded me of something I once heard from a missionary from that part of the world. And he said, he said when you English-speaking people read the Word, you read it like this left to right. This is the way it looks when you read the Word. When we Asians read the Word, we read it like this. We're saying yes to the Word. How many want to say yes to the Word of God today? And how many Asians know what I'm talking about that are in the house today? I know there's a, there's a few of you. Well, let's pray. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for your Word today. We thank you that it's still sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we're thankful today, Lord, that your help is here. The helper is here today. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm asking for that, my Father. I'm, I'm asking for help. And I know you have arrested my attention with this passage, and I'm believing you're going to do something with it today by the dynamic of your Holy Spirit. Because I believe, Lord, today there is life in this room. I believe there's life here today. I believe there's life because the Word is life. And so speak to us today and glorify your name, for I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Before we go directly into the passage, I want to make some general comments about, about miracles, just to sort of set the palette today, if I may. And you, if you have a pencil and paper, you may want to jot a couple of these down. There's a few notes. A miracle is three things all at once. It's three things all at once. First of all, it is a natural event inasmuch as it takes place within the sphere of nature. It's here on this earth. It's with humans. It's, it's here. It's, it's taking place within the sphere of nature. It's a natural event. Secondly, it's an unnatural event in that it seems to cut right across normal natural laws. It will look like it violates natural laws completely. That's what a miracle will do. So it's a natural event. It's an unnatural event. And thirdly, it's a supernatural event which has been caused from outside of nature itself, actually given to us by the Lord. And so that's a miracle. It's a natural event that follows an unnatural course and has a supernatural origin. It's a natural event that follows an unnatural course and has a, a supernatural origin. Now, as we know, the Bible is full of recordings of miracles in both the Old and New Testament that, that have taken place. And here's the reality, and I say this confidently and boldly, and that is this. You cannot profess to believe this book right here if you do not believe in miracles. Let me try that to the balcony. You cannot profess 
this book if you do not believe in miracles because it's the truth. And here's also the truth. If you find miracles difficult, then be honest and simply say that you do not believe the Bible because it is quite impossible to say that you accept the Bible as the Word of God and do not believe in miracles. As we read the Word of God, we are faced with one basic underlying question that is really always there staring us in the face as we read the Word. And this question actually occurs a couple of times in Scripture, and the question is this, is there anything too hard for the Lord? That's the question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer that you give to that question doesn't depend upon science, it doesn't depend upon your knowledge, it doesn't depend upon your experience, it depends upon your faith. If God is the God that the Bible talks about, then frankly, when He gets involved, when He gets busy, anything and absolutely anything could happen. Do you believe that today, church? And this chapter that we're going to look at in just a moment will remind us of this profoundly. And as I told you, there's at least four, some say five, depending on how you look at it, miracles that are going to be in this chapter that we're going to look at in 2 Kings in in just a moment. And in all of the cases, the whole, the whole chapter is just about miraculous things that took place. And in all the cases, you see that they have reached the end of their human resources. And in all of these cases, you have a situation that no man could do anything about. And I want us to remember, as this is an excellent reminder to us, that when we reach the end of our human resources, we are just at the beginning of God's resources. There's a song we used to sing, and some of you will remember, the, some of you old timers will remember this, this part of the verse. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. When you are completely out of options, when it looks like there's absolutely no possible way out of your circumstance, when you've reached the bottom and the only place to look is up, that's when God says, Perfect. It's time for me to get to work. In fact, I want to define for you the point of miracle. It's this ictus point that defines where man has reached the end of his ability and God is at the beginning of his. Man has reached the end of his ability and God is at the beginning of his. That is what marks the borderline where miracles can take place. And some of you have found yourself in that situation as you arrive at church today. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, 2 Kings chapter 4. And again, this chapter is full of miracles. We're going to give primary focus to just one of them. And the second woman is the reference that we're going to talk about that starts about verse 8. Though the first one in this chapter, I I, I want to tell you as I've read this chapter over and over and over this week, the, the first one has captured my attention as well, enough that I'm probably going to talk a bit about it tonight in the prayer service at 6 Because I found some principles from this about miracles that I really want to share. I I couldn't include it in what I'm sharing this morning, but I'm going to give it tonight, the Lord willing. And then we're going to pray for miracles tonight in the prayer service at 6 o'clock. I hope you will join us. Let me give you just a little bit of brief background about this 2 Kings chapter 4 so that you you get the scene set properly. And, And I'll do it quickly, so just listen carefully. In the previous chapters up to this point, Elijah has been taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And his successor, 
Elisha has received the mantle, and now Elisha is prophesying, and he's being used by God all over Israel. And beginning in verse 8 in the fourth chapter of 2 Kings, we read, let me just sort of summarize part of this for you before we read part of it, that there was in Shunem a wealthy woman and her husband who have made for Elisha what we would call a prophet's chamber, like a bed and breakfast, if you will. Because there were no hotels at this time, and there was no, you know, this, no, this idea of saying, you know, I'm coming through Shunem, have my secretary to see if the Holiday Inn has any rooms, you know, king size, non-smoking, hopefully the complimentary breakfast tomorrow morning. None of that was there. No hotels. It just didn't exist. And so you stayed in people's houses. And most homes in the Middle East at that time were flat roofs, and, and they would add on to the house and add a second story as the family grew. But we're going to find out this family was not growing. In fact, they had no children, so there had been no addition. But this woman and her husband, and they were a wealthy couple, they had built on this room on the, uh, in their house for hospitality. They had come to know Elisha and come to that he was, see that he was a man of God. And they built this room specifically for him when he came to town. And so one day when Elisha was there, he wanted to give an expression of, of gratitude. And he says to the woman, he says, you know, you've been so kind to me. I, I can't believe you've done this. Every time I come through, you have a meal for me and I, and I have a place to stay. You've been so kind. What can I do for you? I, I want to do something for you in return. And at first she says, oh, I, I'm fine, really. My, my family takes care of me and there's nothing that I have need of. And so later... Elisha can't get rid of this idea that he wants to return with gratitude something to, to this woman and her husband. And so he asks his servant, Gehazi, he says, what, what can we do for this woman? This is what is told in this story. And Gehazi responds, he says, well, she is barren. She doesn't have a son. And her husband is an old man, which there's not much promise of having a son at this point in their life. And so Elisha begins to speak to them, and, and he gives them this promise. It's the man of God speaking to this couple who've been so hospitable to him, and he says, by this time next year, you'll be holding a son in your arms. And of course, she responds by saying, oh, oh, man of God, don't get my hopes up. Please, don't get my hopes up. But, I mean, it's a wonderful thing for you to say. Wow, what a bold thing for him to say. But what we read in Scripture is, it actually happens, and not only does it happen, there is a son born just as the prophet had said, but it's also the, the child is born in the timing that the prophet had indicated as well. So the parents are overjoyed as they receive their miracle. And you read this part of the story and you, you have to say, oh my goodness, it's absolutely in, incredible. And I think I, I want to know here this morning, how many are here that can say at some point in your life you have experienced a miracle from God? By show of hands, I want to see. You've experienced a miracle. It could be a healing. It could be a marriage. It could be a mate. It could be a job. It could be a child. It could be college acceptance into a college. Whatever it is. These are the things that we know and that we see, that we can identify the Lord is doing for us. But we also know this, that there are things and miracles that God is performing for us that we don't see. They're unseen to us. We have no idea what he is doing behind the scenes for us. I, you know, I was, I was thinking about this. I was reminded we were in the airport 
getting ready to board an international trip the other day and kind of in the duty-free area that you kind of roam through as you're waiting you know, to board your flight. And there was a, a lady and what appeared to be her husband with her. And she had on, again, it's an international flight. She had a backpack on it. It was packed full. Her backpack went like out to here. And she was roaming through this little area of shop and knocking over everything as she, you know, and her husband's walking along behind her trying to catch everything. And she was just oblivious and he wasn't saying it. And I thought, you know, that's the Lord going along behind me. Everything that I'm knocking over and with the backpack on, he's doing all kinds of things. And the Bible says he not only goes behind us, he goes before us as well. He's preparing things. There are all kinds of things that God is doing for us as he goes before and behind us. How many are glad about it today? Protection he has given us. How many times have we heard testimonies of people saying, you know, his divine protection was there, and I I didn't even know, I I didn't even see it, or maybe you found out about it later. The ways that he has directed your, your steps that you didn't even have the sensitivity to see at the time. And maybe you were fortunate enough to see it later. Oh, now I see. Look how the Lord directed our That happened and then that. And look how he directed and orchestrated all that. He's performing miracles for us all the time. Well, here's the miracle in this story. As we go to 2 Kings chapter 4. And I've summarized the first part. Go with me to verse 18. When the child was grown... The day came, the child was born to this couple that was miraculous. The day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And and so the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. It could have been an aneurysm. It could have been, the Bible doesn't tell us. Whatever it was, we know it was very urgent. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. That's the, she went and laid him in the bed in the prophet chamber that they had built for Elisha. And she shut the door behind him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. And her husband said, Why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. There's always somebody going to say, how come you're going to church on Wednesday? How come you, it's not Sunday. It's always going to be somebody like that. Why, why are you going to, it's not the new moon or Sabbath. And she said, I want you to remember this, it will be well. Some versions will read, it shall be well. And then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward, do not Slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. This is a woman on a mission. Have you ever experienced, dear one today, a miracle and then come to the point where that miracle that you received was in jeopardy? That which you prayed for and that which you believed for and God had obviously given and suddenly it's in danger. The marriage that you believed for and you knew God had supernaturally made a way for this marriage and all of a sudden it's, it's hanging on by a thread. The university that God opened up a door for you to get into and now suddenly you're only days away from the point that if you don't pay this bill or, or take care of the student loan, you're, you're going to lose that opportunity. The job that you thought was a miracle and there's no way this could have happened without God providing it and then all of a sudden you've lost that job and now you're unemployed. Or maybe, like we see in this passage, 
God promised a child to you, and you did become pregnant, and then you're left to wonder, why did the miscarriage happen? And I don't want to be insensitive with that in any way. Or you thought you were going into ministry, and suddenly the opportunity that looked so promising to you was literally ripped out from underneath you. I don't think there is anyone here who has experienced a miracle, but what you've not also seen that miracle be put in jeopardy or at least seriously threatened. And for this Shunammite woman, the miracle was, you're going to have a child when you shouldn't have a child, according to the natural law of things. The baby comes, and then all of a sudden, that baby that was a miracle dies. And now this woman is challenged with the same thing you and I would be challenged with if we faced the same thing. What do you do when your miracle that God actually provided for you is now on the deathbed, is now almost over? And then you ask yourself all of the questions that any of, any of us would ask. Was it really a miracle? Did I just totally miss that? Was it me that did this? And doubt comes in and takes over. And then you start saying things like, I, I don't know if I can ever even ask for a pregnancy again. I can't bear the pain of going through the pain of losing a child again. I, I can't do it. And there are people in this very room who I know have experienced this very thing, so I say this with gentle sensitivity. But what do you do? How do you respond when all of a sudden the miracle now seems to be snatched from you? Taken from you. Death has walked in. Death has put its grips around that thing that you have praised God for. The thing you've given testimony to. The thing you've, you've told people about. And now that son or daughter that you prayed to be saved. And it looked like that had taken place. And now they're living in a backslidden condition. And now they're back to their old habits. And, and you're asking, what happened to the miracle? What happened? How do you respond to that? Well, this woman saddles up a donkey. She gets a servant and she says, dude, put the pedal to the metal and don't stop until I tell you. And I want us to see exactly what happens here. Verse 25. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. When the man of God, the man of God saw her at a, at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, there's the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, now watch this because this ought to get your attention. It certainly did mine. Please run to her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? And is it well with the child? And it's her response that ought to knock us in the creek today. She looks... And her answer to all three of those questions is a hymn that we sing here at this church. She looks at the man of God and she says three words. And those three words were this. It is well. You tell me, where did that come from? Where in the world can you be making funeral arrangements and deep within your soul there's something that says it is well? How in the world can you be experiencing pangs of grief and at the same time have the words of shalom, which are words of completeness, words of wholeness ringing in your soul? 
She's given a miracle child, and after she's all been all shot up with joy over that, only a few years later, she's brought down to the depths of despair over this same child. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And somehow in the lowest valley of your life, something deep inside that doesn't come from your strength, and it doesn't come from any place else except from the Spirit of God. But you can identify that in the core of your being, there is a voice that is singing the hymn, It is well with my soul. Where in the world does that come from other than God himself? What we have to understand, dear church, is that what becomes different for the believer, hear me carefully, than anybody else in this life, is that our joy, our peace, where we are and who we are is never dependent upon what we go through. It is never dependent upon what is happening around us. The reality is that everything could be crashing around us, but deep inside of you, there, deep inside your soul, there is a voice that cannot be silenced that cries out, it is well. When the house is in chaos, when the kids are hanging from the ceiling, something inside of you says, God, I don't know what to do, but I know that there is a peace that says it is well with my soul. That that which you think is the end, that which you think is the finale, that which you think will never get fixed, still isn't strong enough to silence the voice that cries out those three words, it is well. This woman knew something. This woman had something deep inside of her that can speak with a peace which passes understanding. And let's be honest. When you, when you can, as a believer, speak these words, it is well. The truth is this. The world around you doesn't understand you. They don't get it at all. The world can look at you and think you've lost your mind, lost your marbles. Even Jesus, who was the perfect human who had peace in the midst of everything coming against him and everyone plotting to kill him. Even his own family thought he had lost it at times. When the world looks at what a Christian is in the midst of all the trouble and turbulence, they don't understand how you can say, it is well with all the junk that's going on because they think if they can't say it, you can't say it. It's exactly what they think. But what they don't understand is this. They have never experienced that, that peace that, that, is, that lives deep within inside of us. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. For when Jesus comes, because he is the prince of peace, and he starts to live inside, says if I'm in your heart, that means I start to fix stuff and what I am is what you become. But the world can't get that because the only peace they understand is when the job is in order, the money's in the 401k, all the bills are paid this month, the car is working, the kids are thriving and obeying, and at that point they think they can have peace. But that's not for the believer. The believer understands this. That's not the reality. Sometimes things are crazy, church. Sometimes things are out of control. Sometimes the miracle is on, on its deathbed, but there is still something inside of you that can cry out, it is well. Well, let's look at what happened and what they did with this boy because I think there's something for us here. She put him on the bed and left him there. And the wellness inside of her, the peace inside of her said, 
You know what? I believe this story is not over. At least it's not over just yet. I believe this is part of the miracle. You see, church, we have this thought that if something comes to us by a miracle, we think it's untouchable. Ladies, you think that if that God brought you a man in your life by some miracle, you have a tendency to think that marriage will never be attacked? Uh-uh. Not going to happen like that. Because even miracles are going to be fought against. And we think that just because something happens by a miracle that now no one can touch it. It's untouchable by everyone and everything else. And that's not what happens here. This is the miracle boy. And now the miracle has died. And that's why sometimes the miracle gets in trouble. And we need God to begin to perform a miracle on the miracle. That's what we need. They put the boy on a bed, and Elisha says to Gehazi in verse 29, follow with me. Then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, don't salute him. If anyone salutes you, don't even answer him. You're on a mission, man. And lay my staff on the lad's face. I want you to watch this. The mother of the lad said, as the Lord lives, she's saying to Elisha, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'm not leaving you here. I'm not leaving. And so he arose and followed her, Elisha did. But he sent Gehazi on ahead. Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face. Now do not miss this. But there was no sound or response. And so he returned to meet him and told him, the lad has not awakened. So here's what happens as we see round one. Lord, this child is dead. I really just need a miracle. I'm praying, but nothing's happening. I've tried praying. Prayer just doesn't seem to be working. I've asked the Lord. Nothing. And if you stop there, friend, what you have is a dead miracle. And if you stop and Gehazi is your only answer, God help you. Gehazi comes in, prays, and he goes running back to Elisha saying, nah, you know, I did what you said. didn't seem to work. I did exactly the way you told me. Nothing happened. We put in the prayer request card, called the church office. We put it on Facebook. Nothing. Nothing's happening. All my buddies, you know. Sometimes we have to pray without ceasing. Sometimes it's not about praying just once. Sometimes this thing is a fight that you've got to go the distance. Just because the answer doesn't come the first time does not mean the answer is not on its way. Somebody needs to hear that today. So here's what takes place. And I love what Elisha does. Verse 32. You know, Elisha's not going, well, the child must be dead. Let's go on about our business. No, that's not, that's not the way he responded. Verse 32. Elisha came into the house. and Behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. Now watch this. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And this is now round two. 
He went up and lay on the child. He put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself on him, and the flesh of the child became warm. And that's it. He's still not alive. The flesh became warm. So Elisha comes in the house, begins to pray. The corpse begins to warm up a little bit, but it's still not alive. And you know what? Sometimes, oh, I hope you hear this. Sometimes we get happy when the dead man warms up a little bit, but it's still not the answer. Some of you are going to hear that. Oh, God, I've been praying for my husband to come to church. He came to church. Maybe that means he warmed up a little, but he hasn't given his heart to Christ. He just got warmed up, and that's still not the answer. Let's be honest. You don't want him just to go to church. You want him to get saved, die to self, and live for Jesus. You don't want some warmed-up corpse. That's not Christianity. That's a horror flick. You want him to live for Jesus. We're not looking for a warmed-up sinner that's still dead in their trespasses and sins. Surely this is making sense to somebody today. Just because they're sitting here with you doesn't mean they've been made alive in Jesus Christ. Because what you need is for God to resurrect them. You don't need some dead body warming up that's a zombie. What you need is a person that is walking, breathing, praising, reading, witnessing, praying, worshiping. That's what you need. We're looking for them to be changed by Jesus Christ. That's round two. I hope you're following me here today. Elisha didn't just say, well, he's warmed up, but it must not be God's will. And we move to round three, verse 35. And then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth. How many in the house today are pacers? You pace. If you ever call me, at home, let me tell you, it looks like this. I'm a pacer, a pace. My dad was a gentleman. You've heard me talk about him many times. Wonderful pastor, gentle spirit. But if he ever started pacing, watch out. Watch out. It meant the steam was building up. Elisha returned and walked in the house once back and forth. And all of a sudden, when that prayer warrior started walking back and forth, and he didn't accept a warmed-up corpse as the final answer, he says, we're not done with this fight just yet. God infused this in somebody today. I appreciate it warming up a little bit. That's nice, but that is not the answer we've been praying for. I didn't pray that that tumor would be gone for two months or two years. I prayed for that tumor to be gone completely for good. I didn't pray that God would give me a mate and we would fight for the next five years and talk about divorce. I prayed that God would give me someone that we could serve Jesus together. We could walk in the house of God together and be in fellowship with the church together. And once in a while, it will warm up and we go, isn't this awesome? But then it goes right back to death. And you determine, no, I didn't ask God for just part way. And all of a sudden, what needs to happen to you, dear friend, is a spirit of back and forth. Spirit of pacing back and forth comes upon you. And they said, no, 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 no. 
That is not what God said. That is not what God said. God said a miracle. God said a miracle. He said a boy. He didn't say a dead boy. He said a boy. He didn't say a a warmed up boy. But we need a boy that's going to sneeze seven times. Look down at your Bible. Verse 35. He walked in the house once back and forth, and then he went up and stretched himself on him, and the lad sneezed seven times, and then the lad opened his eyes, and he called his eye, and he said, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came in to him, he said, take up your son. He's alive. And what happens is this. When you fight this thing out and you fight this thing through, something in your spirit says, even though it seems like it's dead, even though it seems like there's absolutely no way, I have prayed this thing through in the midnight hour. I've laid awake all hours of the night. I've sat there and looked at the clock at 4 o'clock in the morning, and my eyes haven't even closed yet because I'm so burdened in prayer over this thing. I'm so troubled over this thing. When you fought this thing through, there can still be something inside of you that says, but it is well. Because of what the Lord is going to do. Because God is going to get the glory out of this and God is going to win. I close with this story. Many of you know the story of how the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, was written. In the 1800s, Horatio Spafford was a prominent lawyer and well known in Chicago, a senior partner in a large and thriving law firm. He and his wife were also close friends and supporters of the evangelist Dwight L. Moody. Spafford had invested heavily in real estate north of Chicago, but when the great fire of Chicago reduced the city to ashes, it destroyed most of Spafford's sizable investment. Two years later, that, after that fire in 1873, Spafford decided his family should take a holiday somewhere in Europe and chose England, knowing that his friend D.L. Moody would be preaching there in the fall. Spafford himself was delayed in going because of business, so he sent ahead his wife and four daughters on the ship on the way from New York to London. And on November 22, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on the steamship Via du Havre, their ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel and 226 people lost their lives, including all four of Spafford's daughters. Anna Spafford, his wife, survived the tragedy. And upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to Spafford, her husband, which simply said, saved alone. Spafford then boarded a ship to make that journey to London to keep his promise to D.L. Moody. And as the ship began, that he's now on, began to near the exact place where the collision had taken place just days before, the captain called him to the deck to say, Sir, this is where it happened, right here. Spafford came down from the captain's bridge, went to his stateroom, and he pinned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way.
When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is. Stand with me today, church. I just have a question by show of hands. Who today, whose miracle needs a miracle? Is there anyone in the house today? I've received a miracle, but my miracle has been threatened. Whose miracle needs a miracle? For some, it's warmed up, but that's not the end. Let me tell you what I've been praying for you all week as I prepared this message. Oh, God is. We give this on Sunday morning. I'm praying that you will put an, an it is well in our soul, deep within our soul this morning. Some of you have been so troubled by the threatening of your miracle. And I'm here to remind you today of what the Shunammite woman said. You know, I'm going to say it this way. You might have missed it as we read it earlier. When the Shunammite woman first started off to seek the prophet, her husband looked at her and said, where are you going? And when she answered her husband, you can see it's in the future tense. She looked at him and she said, it's, it's actually in verse 23 of our chapter. She said, it shall be well. It shall be well. And so what we understand from that is this. Before she got to the declaration of it is well, she first had to speak to her future. And maybe for you today, that's your first step. Maybe you're, maybe you're at least able to come to the point of saying, it shall be well with my marriage. It shall be well with my health. It shall be well with my son or my daughter, with my finances. It shall be well with this pregnancy. It shall be well with my job. Come on, let's lift our hands and say, God, it shall be well. I want everyone in the house today, whatever you're facing. Come on, speak that out. It shall be well. Come on, in an act of faith today. Lord, I surrender it to you because I know that you are able to make all things work together for good. It shall be well. It shall be well. God, put that faith in us today. The woman was saying, it shall be well, holding a dead boy in her arms. Surely today we can say, it shall be well. Put that faith in us today. Because what we, we hold in our hand is doubt. We hold in our hand a faith at times that's just barely hanging on. Let us say it shall be well. We hold in our hands words from others who say, oh, just give up, let it go, leave the marriage, leave the job, leave the church, leave it. But we're saying today, Lord, it shall be well. Come on, let me hear you say, it shall be well. Do it again, it shall be well. God, we're not satisfied. We're not going to be satisfied with just a body that's warmed up a little bit. Lord, I'm praying for everyone in this house today. We're praying for seven sneezes. Seven sneezes, God, wake it up! We're asking you to take this miracle to completion. We know what you said. We know what you promised. 
Now place an it is well within us and wake that thing up with seven sneezes. Bring it to life. There's another verse that says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood. You know, church, only God would wake up a boy with seven sneezes. Only God would do that. If you and I were designing it, we would do it a completely different way. Might have a certain order to it. According to your personality, might have a little pizzazz a certain way. But why would God wake him up with seven sneezes? Who knows? But that so caught my attention, the uniqueness of that. It reminded me how unique our God is. It reminded me that I don't know how God's going to work the miracle in my life that I'm praying for. That it's going to happen in a way that's probably going to come as a surprise to me. It's going to happen in a way that I probably would not have predicted. And Elisha looks and he says, ma'am, here's your son. It is well. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part this is why we can say it is well it is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord everything you have lifted up it is well it is well with hallelujah 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 so I was wrapping up my notes Rather accidentally, I bumped across a little something in Psalm. And I thought, what a wonderful little addendum. 
I hope you've been encouraged by this today. I hope you're going to ask the Lord to put an it as well deep within your soul. But this is from Psalm 34, verse 18. It says this, the psalmist tells us this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Would you say it with me? The Lord is close to the broken. And he rescues whose spirits are crushed. So as we leave here today, if anyone asks you, how you doing? What's your answer going to be? What's your answer going to be? It is well.